G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. I saw a man in a, in a wheelchair, and uh, the rings of his wheelchair like are starting to square off. And so I think this this can't be right. So I, I go up to him and he spoke English, and we we had a short chat. And I said I'd love to give you some new wheels for the wheelchair. We we found a place that repaired it that afternoon. We he jumps in and takes off. No thank you, no anything. Just, just off he went. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Levi McGraw is a Melbourne musician who's been on our radio since 2007. He's written a lot of songs on a variety of subjects, but there's even more to Levi than his recorded music. He's served on mission in Uganda, and he's worked with the Melbourne Street Choir and the Choir of Hard Knocks, and he's helping disadvantaged kids in Australia's outback. Today, Levi McGraw will share the story behind the music as he has a chat with Shelley Scowen. Thanks for joining us, Levi. Thanks, Shelley. It's great to be here. Levi, let's go back to the very beginning of the story. Let's have a quick chat about your early days. Were you brought up in a Christian family? I was. My dad and mum were both heavily involved in, in ministry from a young age. My dad was a youth pastor to senior minister, and my mum, a kids pastor, and got involved in, in worship leading, in church plays and musicals, all, all that kind of stuff. So I was, I was heavily involved my dad was also itinerant in, in his ministry as well and would go and speak on youth camps or young adults conferences and seminars. So I was traveling with him a lot and I think that's where I got the bug <laughs> to, to one day be able to travel as a musician and match ministry with that to be able to go out and, and share both my music and my passion for God, I guess, my faith and justice in, in all these different parts of Australia and, and now the world. So yeah, it's pretty cool what family can rub off on you. You're basically continuing to do what you've been doing for your whole life, (laughs) obviously doing it your own way now, but that's really cool that uh, you learnt very much from your parents in the early days. You have also had a great passion for social justice over the years. Where do you think that was really cultivated? That's really interesting. I I think seeds of it began just in my heart as a child. I saw the Rwandan genocide on, on the news way back in, in 93, and I was, I was only a seven-year-old boy, but I remember feeling this deep compassion and this deep, strange connection with Africa. And I put it in my back pocket for years as I got involved in sport and school and all these other different projects and music. But at 16 years of age, I, I met this beautiful young woman on a Christian camp in Melbourne, and she had this huge appetite for travel, for mission, and for social justice. She was a really, really passionate uh, young person, and we got to know each other. I eventually married her after four years of dating, and we've traveled to Africa now together many times. We've worked in Uganda with with child soldiers, but I guess the cultivation period was, was those four years dating. We started working in our own backyard. You know, it's always... You know, first amongst your own community and then out into the world with, with mission. But we started working with refugees who'd come across from South Sudan um, who were coming out of war-torn situations, who'd been living in refugee camps and ended up in Melbourne. 
and our role was to take a family of kids to the park each Sunday. Sometimes we'd take them to church, sometimes we'd take them out for a meal, and just, just give these kids a taste of, of kind of normal, safe life in Australia and normal childhood um, outside the experiences that they'd had. And those four years brought us really close to the South Sudanese community in Melbourne. We ended up having our, our wedding service at a, at a South Sudanese church too. It was really, really special time. And, and I learned a lot about myself, about justice, about culture, and really grew a passion to actually go to Africa myself um, through those years. And actually going to Africa is great, and we're going to talk about that soon. But I wanted to pick up on what you were saying about doing mission right here in Australia, which you can do with native-born Aussies as well, and that is very much a mission field. And, of course, God bringing the international mission field right here to our very own doorstep. I like how you said that your role was literally just going to the park and kicking a football around with these guys. I think when we think of missions, we can get a bit scared off by what, it might actually entail, that it's something, you know, complicated and scary and that we're going to have to sit down with these people and get into deep and meaningful stuff straight away, when you were literally going to a park and kicking a football around. And, of course, that opens up the way for conversations and things too. Well, it does. And it's it's what you're driven by. I've never really been driven financially. My parents were the same. It wasn't the biggest motivator in life to have this incredible financially successful career and that's great for, for some and that's that's really important for a lot of people but that was never my, my motivator and so when I looked at having a career and a job I, I wanted something that was primarily ministry oriented so getting into music and having music ministry has been really important to me and it allows me some flexibility with my work hours to be able to volunteer to be able to to do the things I love and that led to starting work with the, with the choir of hard knocks in Melbourne and all that essentially is, is going and singing with a group of marginalised people who feel outside or outcast from, from society for a number of different reasons, from, from alcohol and, and drug issues to mental health problems to physical illnesses that, that just inhibit them from normal community participation. And this was having a meal with people, singing for a few hours. It's such simple things, but... That's what mission looks like at home. These are some of the opportunities that you can get involved in when, when you think about what's, what's driving you and those, those factors. Mm, so true. It doesn't have to be a big, glamorous, scary thing uh, where you're totally confronting people about you know, life's deepest issues. It really can start with something so simple as that. I, I love it. So as you mentioned, uh, you and your wife have been to Uganda a number of times. Tell us about that very first time. I believe that was the main time that you were serving with former child soldiers over there? Yeah, it was our second trip. We'd gone on a primary trip, which was really observing and and seeing how we could get involved in the future. Um, That was just a three-month little trip to Uganda and Kenya and Rwanda to visit our sponsor children. Uh, with World Vision and Compassion, and, and that was a great trip. But going back, we had an opportunity with World Vision to spend six months working with child soldiers in the north of Uganda, and it's a very war-torn, war-affected area, and the, the scars of war were, were obvious all around the town. There's landmine survivors missing an arm, missing a leg. So many, so many homeless that have been forced into this, this major town of Gulu, where we lived from their remote country areas because of war, because of children being abducted to fight with this army run by this leader 
Uh, Joseph Coney, who's just just a very evil individual and and caused so much havoc and trauma and pain in the north of Uganda and the, in the south of Sudan. But we we got to be involved just helping to rehabilitate kids who'd been through war, who'd either escaped or been rescued. And we'd spend days reteaching kids how to brush their teeth and kick a soccer ball around, play, play basketball, do some drawing therapy. I, I took my guitar and played music with these kids and just tried to make them smile and move through their pain and trauma to a place where they felt comfortable going home um, back to their families, back to their communities and villages. And that was a, a beautiful and traumatic and <laughs> exciting time, but I, I grew so much as, as a person to understand the complexities of war, complexities of, of tribalism. There are so many things I learned on that trip that have yeah, it just made me a, a smarter and wiser person, I think, today. But it was a, a beautiful time uh, getting to spend those early years in our marriage together doing something really, really incredible. Yeah, an incredible way to start off a marriage uh, in any way is serving together. And uh, you guys, jumping into a situation like that is only going to bring you closer together, which is absolutely awesome. You mentioned about the need just being so great in Uganda. Did you have a feeling of, well, where do we even start? Like, how can we even make a difference when the need is just so massive? I really did. I really did. And you, you can go over there feeling a, a bit like, oh, I'm, am, am I just trying to be the, the great white hope over here? Am I coming over with a saviour complex? Or am I really just, just wanting to learn and get involved and, and help in really practical ways, in, in the ways that I can? And and there was a lot of wrestling with, with you know, what, what difference can I make? The problem is so great. You know, the, the war there had displaced more than 2 million people. More than 30,000 kids had been abducted. And we were just working with, with a handful of kids, you know, 10 to 15 kids at a time um, that had been traumatized by their experiences in war. But I remember one day just having God place something in front of my wife and I as we were walking into town to a restaurant and realizing that all we're called to respond to is what God puts in our path. The opportunities that we choose to take, you know, is, is a test of our faithfulness, our, our response and our responsiveness, I guess. But I saw a man in a, in a wheelchair and uh, it had no tires. The tires had come off. He had no legs and he just wheeled himself around in this, this wheelchair. There's obviously some mental health problems. He's muttering to himself under his breath. Yeah, he looks pretty skinny and in a very bad way, but the rims of his wheelchair like, are starting to square off and he's just bouncing and bumbling his way down the street. And so I think this, this can't be right. So I, I go up to him and he spoke English and we, we had a short chat and I said, I'd love to give you some new wheels. Um, for the wheelchair, we, we found a place that repaired it that afternoon. We waited an hour or so while they fit some new wheels on this thing. He jumps in and takes off. No thank you, no anything, just... Just off he went, but <laughs> but I knew that I'd been faithful to respond. It's not about the thanks, it's not about the accolades, it's just I needed to respond to what God was putting in front of me in that moment, and that was a really cool feeling. It's a really good test, uh, I think, of, of character and whether you'll be willing to, to just put your hand up and, and say, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> mm, what a great challenge, hey, that yes, it's not about the thanks. <laughs> It's about taking up the opportunities that God puts <laughs> in your path. That's that's absolutely awesome. You mentioned about working with these kids in Uganda. What kind of ages were these kids? Sure. So the, the kids aged about 15 to 21, 
and all these these kids had been abducted at very young ages, some as young as seven and eight years of age, forced to carry machine guns. The, the girls were porters in the army, so they had to carry tents, cooking equipment, ammunition. All the soldiers they were married off to. And it was a very harrowing experience for them, but, but the age of the kids mentally when they'd come back was very young. Even though a, a young guy might be 18 years of age, he still didn't know how to read or write. He could barely use a pencil to draw. He had the skills of, of like a five or six year old child because he'd never had an education, never gone through school, never had the opportunities of a kid to just play and, and grow and learn in a family environment even. So it was a, a very bizarre, very surreal experience to be working with these kids. But the results of the psychologist they had working there at, at that office was, was pretty incredible over, over a short amount of time to get them to a place where they felt confident and able to go back to school or go into the workforce or get some kind of employment was pretty pretty special. Mm, yeah, just absolutely amazing the transformation that you can see in these kids. The devastation that these kids have been through is just unspeakable. The things that they have seen and done, uh, we couldn't even wrap our minds around it and yet these kids have lived through mm. it. Fast forward to today, you're a father now. Mm. How does that change your perspective on things? Do you look at your own kids and just go, my goodness, I could not imagine this kind of thing happening to you guys? Absolutely. That's painful, to be honest. When I think of my, my two boys, I've got a two-year-old and a six-year-old little Eden and River, and they're the apple of my eye. I, I love them. I adore them. I want to protect them. But it does make you wonder, you know, if Aussie kids were abducted like this and forced into war, just like in Uganda and or so many places on earth from Liberia to Libya um, to South America, there there is so many wars being fought with children around the world and you just you just wonder if our Aussie kids would people stand up and take notice. Why is it we favour some and not the other, aren't we all God's creation? And it makes me really passionate to to continue to share these stories all these years later so that we, we start to tackle some of these issues of racism that often don't don't get brought up a lot in our society and, and thankfully over the last last 12 months a lot of these issues are getting the attention that they deserve and we're, we're starting to have a deep look in the mirror at some of these, these larger social justice issues and, and how we can do better as a society and, and culture but I I really was confirmed when I had my own kids of just just how good they've got it and, and I want them to see some of these things too so we're, we're hoping to have an opportunity to take our kids to the Outback soon, we're hoping to, to get them uh, to Africa You're listening to The Story Today, Shelley Scowen is chatting with Melbourne musician Levi McGraw, who, as we've been hearing, certainly has a heart for the disadvantaged and the downtrodden people in society. As a matter of fact, his website describes him as the social justice musician. We'll hear more of Levi's story and some of his music when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. 
Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen chatting with Melbourne musician Levi McGraw. As we heard before the break, Levi certainly has a heart for the disadvantaged and downtrodden people in society. And as we'll hear, this has inspired much of his music. Next, Levi shares more about his ministry and music. So you said about uh, going into the Aussie outback. That's another of the missions that you're involved in at the moment. You're a man of many talents and many passions. Tell us about the outback (laughs) initiatives that uh, you're involved in at the moment. Yeah, so a few years ago, my best mate, Andy, who who played drums uh, for me uh, back home, he he came to me and he said, have you read read this report um, on ABC News at the moment about um, suicide in, in terms of young people in Outback Australia and the, just the epidemic, the catastrophic rise in numbers of young people and youth committing suicide. And, and I said, no, I'll have to check it out. And so I, I listened to some, some radio reports, I read some articles and was deeply, deeply moved, moved to tears at just the injustice on our back doorstep, you know, here in Australia. The things that we don't see often in the big cities or around the coast, these are massive issues that are shaking Indigenous Australia in these small, remote Aboriginal communities where kids are feeling like there's no hope, there's no future, there's, there's nothing worth sticking around for and ending their lives too young. So we, we started an initiative called Instruments for the Outback Together and we launched it online. A few weeks later, we had $20,000 to take musical instruments and professional musicians, like a big team of 15 guys and girls, out to the outback who could train and teach young people all about music, a variety of different instruments. And that's grown over the past few years to include didgeridoos, keyboards, drums, guitars, and a whole bunch of, of wonderful music teaching professionals to go along with it. But we're, we're now seeing the communities that we partner with in the Northern Territory uh, come up with their own music videos. They're running their own Christmas carols and concerts in their language, writing worship songs. It's just so special. And uh, numbers of, of kids coming along to school, like their, their actual attendance is changing and going up because they want access to these musical instruments that are there in the schools that we partner with. And it's it's just really exciting. It's not uh, curing everything or... or or changing everything overnight, but it's, it's making a difference and we're really excited to see it grow and, and build. Yeah, it's interesting. We've seen secular programs along this kind of nature as well, providing instruments and musical training to disadvantaged kids and the proof that it really does make a very big difference in these kids' lives and in communities. When you add the God yeah. factor in there as well, uh, that makes an even bigger difference, doesn't it? It's so impacting and it's, it's impacting on the team as well. We, we take Christian professional musicians that are, you know, some of the top Christian guys from the industry around Australia and, and women who are just remarkable singers, instrumentalists, um, people that are producers are getting involved now. We've got TV and, and filmmakers uh, that are getting behind us and supporting. So there's a range of different things that we offer. But, you know, like you said, when you take the God factor, it just, has the chance to really, really uh, do some, some good damage. I like to think um, where, where the enemy has a real foothold in some of these areas, it can be a, a big positive change in kids' lives and, and hopefully give them something to hang on to, a future skill, something that's, that's really positive and healing in their lives. 
Yeah, it's just awesome the uh, the difference that you can make in these kids' lives. It's it's absolutely great. Well, we've just been speaking to you for about 20 minutes or so, and most people know Levi McGrath as being a musician, and we haven't even talked about your music really yet uh, because you have been on our radios uh, for years and years and years. We've been playing your music, but I guess your music has been very much a reflection of all of this stuff that we've been talking about, all the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes for us, obviously been a massive part of your life. How has your music, I guess, been a reflection of what's going on in all the other areas of your life? I think it's chronicled the different seasons of my life. My first album was pre-mission. It was about to go to Africa for the first time. It was was riding into where my life was heading and my music was, was moving away from only encouragement and, and kind of spiritual nurturing to be music of challenge and singing into social justice issues. My second album was entirely about social justice issues. My, my third album was a, a mixture of, of challenge, of what God was speaking to me about, um, the state of the church in Australia and, and my own personal life and, and faith journey. And then my, my latest album is very much about family because that's where I'm at now father of, of two little boys and challenged me a lot about my marriage, my faith in terms of, of being a father and, and a family man. And it's it's really, really, really interesting to just see where God takes these, these songs. I don't try to limit it or, or pick a certain theme or style. I, I let God just, just move through the songs wants to, to write through me. But it's a really interesting process to, to just see yeah, the evolution when you look back through your kind of back catalogue. <laughs> and, and see thematically <laughs> where you've been. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned about those songs of challenge. That's something that we don't get a whole lot of on our radios at the moment. There's a lot of worship. Uh, there's, you know, a few other styles in there. But those songs where lyrically you're having a bit of a dig and trying to kick us into action. How have those songs actually been received? Because you'd think, oh, we don't really want to listen to those. We don't want to be challenged. How have those songs been received <laughs> when you've been out, you know, performing them and whatnot? Well, it's, it's so funny. It's, it's such generalizations that are over the whole Christian music industry, over the, the broader music industry as a whole, that you just need broad messages that connect with people, just, just cheer people up, encourage them, give them a hug, go on your way. And the opposite is is so true. The opposite is so true. The more specific I've been in my songwriting, the more niche it's become, the more powerful the connection I've had with my audience, both through radio and, and live. And still a song that I play at every show I've ever done is, is called Reunion Song, and it sings about a boy, child soldier coming home to his family, and it, and it runs along with the video we took of that special day that he came home and it's a really personal, not general, you know, really specific story of human experience. And that's the most connection that I've ever gotten with an audience and probably ever will. Came around the final corner And his smile began to grow In the air the smell of mangoes Goats and chickens on the road Oh, the sun was bright and blinding The day he came back home He said, my reunion's come 
My reunions come after all these years. But I, I find songs of challenge are really important uh, to the church, to, to Christians, to, to non-Christians who are hearing these songs on radio. Just like Share the Love, I released as my first single off this new album. It was all about sharing and my experiences working with a homeless man I worked with with the choir in Melbourne for years who just didn't have the things I had. He lived on the street and had a real problem with, with alcohol and drinking. He was in this horrible situation. But I just had such a conviction to share a message through that song of, of challenge to the church of, of hey, we've, we've got to share what we have. We've got to be generous. The Bible is calling us to be generous. We, we have to do this. Well, it's, it's sheep and the goat stuff, really simply put of, when did you come and visit me in prison? When did you see me naked and clothe me? When did you see me hungry? Or first, you give me something to eat and drink. That's the stuff that we'll be measured on, as well as our, our belief in Jesus. Some really great challenges there, and we can tell that you're so passionate about all of this stuff, and you're someone who doesn't just preach it, but you do live it yourself. I mean, we've only scratched the surface of the stuff that you really have been involved in for decades now, and uh, getting out of your own comfort zone to go and serve these people. Levi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Shelley. Really special to be here. Got a car and a roof over my head And a blanket on my bed Even got a room for my television set But none of it has made me satisfied yet Share the love, give it all you got Share the love, every single drop Take a thing to the next life If we got enough, we'll be alright Why we holding on so tight? Got a suitcase filled with all he owns That's the music of our guest today, Levi McGraw from Melbourne. And his heart for helping disadvantaged people reminds me of some other music from a different era, the classic hymn called Whatsoever You Do. The lyrics go, Whatsoever you do to the least of my people, that you do unto me. When I was hungry, you gave me to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. Now enter into the home of my father. When I was weary, you helped me find rest. When I was anxious, you calmed all my fears. Now enter into the home of my father. The hymn conveys the important point that when we're serving others, we're really serving Jesus. Also, I really like the story Levi shared about providing a new wheelchair to a poor person who had an old beat-up one. But when he received it, he just took it and walked away. Levi said that helping people isn't necessarily about getting thanks, but it's about doing what God has called us to do on that particular day, regardless of the response of that person we're helping. Some pretty profound truths for all of us to dwell on and to incorporate into our lives. Finally, for more information about Levi, you can go to his website, levimcgraw.com.au. That's Levi McGraw, L-E-V-I-M-C-G-R-A-T-H dot com dot A-U. Well, thanks for joining us for Levi's story and a little bit of his music. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. 
I was 13 and my sister, she was 19 and she went to uni for her first year. And then I found that she was acting a bit strange, like she was so busy. So one day when she's out, I decided to find out what secret she had. So I went to her desk, you know, I searched her stuff. Then I saw a few books and um, that's how I read the gospel. Christine Fong grew up in communist China where Christianity is severely restricted and many secretly worship at underground churches. It wasn't until her sister brought home some Christian literature from an underground church that Christine was exposed to the gospel. We'll hear Christine's fascinating journey to faith while living in communist China next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.